Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. And Part 4 is focusing on living the crucified life. Living the crucified life. This is lesson number two of Part 4. And in this lesson number two, we're going to discuss... uh, the subject of God's unwitting agent. And I'll explain what that means here in a moment. Question, who or what has empowered, has God empowered, authorized, enabled, or permitted to crucify us? Well, to answer this question, we must first determine who he permitted to crucify Christ. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says it this way. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. His enemies, his antagonists, both natural and spiritual, thought when He died on the cross. He gave up the ghost, the scripture says. There had to be rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. Rejoicing in hell. Rejoicing in the kingdom of darkness. But three days later, approximately, (laughs) there was the big oops, oops. What did we do? Because if they had known, if they had known that they were unwitting agents of God's plan and purpose in being the crucifiers of Christ, they wouldn't have done it. If they would have understood the troubles they were causing themselves by ignorantly taking advantage of God's open door of permission to crucify Christ, they wouldn't have done it. If Satan had understood what was really going to be the end of Job because of what God was able to do in Job in preparing Job for the great blessings of God that God wanted to give him, the double portion of all that he had, if Satan would have known that. He wouldn't have done it. He'd have been happy to have left Job like he was. And yet his blind hatred and self-deceiving pride was such that every time he is so focused in hating God and the things of God and, and opposing all that is called God, he is so focused on that, he is blind He just has never figured it out, and he never will. He he honestly doesn't believe he's going to hell. He honestly believes right now today that he is so close to winning because he thinks he's so close to being able to have the Antichrist revealed and rule the world and him be able to rule the world through his incarnation 
as the Antichrist. He's that blind. You say, well, why would he cooperate with God? He's not cooperating with God. And he's never figured it out since. And even when he has, he has done what God allowed him to do and he loses, uh, here's the problem. Humanity being what it is and, uh, <laughs> our pride being what it is and our desire to be God and what is God to run our own lives. What does it mean to be God? To run our own lives, make our own decisions? Yeah. It's so great that when God has given him an opening and he has taken advantage of that opening, he's one enough because what he did tested a person and they failed the test and walked away from God. He's one enough that he kind of counts his losses as part of the price. So every time, I mean, he, he believes he won in the garden. He believes he won with Cain. He believes he won with King Saul. He believes he won. He believes he won with Judas. And I know people that are dear to me that it appears he won with them. I'm not God. I'm not anybody's judge, so I don't know about their the end of their story. I know the end of the stories of those in the Bible. So he is so blind. He is so focused that whenever God opens a door for him, God's purpose is good. God's purpose is, is eternal. He said, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you an expected end. But there are things I need to do in your life. And some of the things I need to do in your life, I cannot do. I have to have someone else to do them because that's their nature and not mine. And so he opens doors in our lives and allows things to happen that we call bad. Painful things, tragic things, difficult things, sorrowful things, or prideful things that we will take the credit for. Stirs up people to brag on us to see if, see how we handle that. Gives us a windfall of finances at times to see what our response for that is. Are we going to spend it? We're going to throw it away. We're going to consume it on ourselves. I mean, look, look, look at how often that people who have won the lottery are broke within just a matter of years, even though they have gained an untold amount of money in, in so many cases. Why? Because they can't be trusted with it. They can't be trusted with it. And they prove they can't be trusted with it because they blow it. Not everyone, but the great, great majority, according to tests, studies. So God has allowed this to happen. This is a part of the plan of God. And Satan cooperates because from his, from his purpose and plan, he wins more than he loses. He just doesn't realize that the times that he loses, those are not inconsequential. 
They are major and do major damage to his plan and purpose. Listen to, listen to what the Amplified says about 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8. But rather, we are setting forth in a, it, 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 what we are setting forth is a wisdom of God once hidden from the human understanding and from the angel's understanding too. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 that only the Father knows the day of his coming, the date and the time of his coming. Even the angels of heaven don't know that. Not just Lucifer, but even they don't know it. So this uh, this wisdom of God was once hidden from human understanding and angelic understanding and now revealed to us by God, that wisdom which God devised and decreed before the uh, the ages for our glorification to lift us into the glory of his presence. None of the rulers of the, this age or world perceived and recognized and understood this, for if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because that was the plan. That was what was necessary to lift us out of this, this quagmire of sin, the pit that we're in. The scripture says for us to remember the pit from which we were dug. So the, the pit we were liberated from, the pig pen prodigal that you were called out of, liberated from, we we are brought out of that. The crucifixion of Christ was is the power of God to lift us out of that and into His glory, where He begins to work on us and prepare us for uh, for His place for us in His kingdom. We says it this way, but we we speak God's wisdom in a form of a mystery long hidden, but now revealed and understandable. That wisdom which has been kept secret with God before ordained, excuse me, that wisdom which has been kept secret, which God foreordained before the ages with a view to our glory, which wisdom none of the rulers of this age has known in an experiential way. For had they known it, in that case, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have done it. They wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you can you can almost hear the kingdom of darkness. Oops, oops, because according to Hebrews chapter two, the adversary has used man's fear of death to bring us into bondage. His torment that he's going to kill us, he's going to take our life. He's used that, but. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is the means whereby God will deliver us from the fear of death because we have nothing to fear in death. We're in the presence of Christ now and death only enables us to be more fully and truly in the presence of Christ. That's why Paul said for me to live as Christ, but die is gain. So there's no more fear of death in a child of God who has grown in maturity and understanding and love of God and in their knowledge and personal experiential knowledge and confidence in the love of God for them. In Jesus' name, we must always remember these agents were permitted by God to act, but they were not forced by God to act. So whether these agents are just the adversary and his forces or those that become his agents in the earth to work against us, 
those that cooperate with Satan's plan against the kingdom of God and and against the, the plan and purpose of God. These agents were permitted by God to act, but they were not forced by God to act. They made their own choices. Therefore, they are accountable to God for their actions. Listen to this encounter between Pilate and Jesus on the day of his crucifixion, John chapter 19, verse 9. And went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Which art thou? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate, then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus spoke up then. Jesus answered, Listen, and we need to hear the answer too, not just Pilate. Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. But he didn't stop there. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. So you may take my life. You may order my life to be taken. You may order your soldiers to take my life. And you're going to be accountable, and your soldiers are going to be accountable, even though they were following orders. But those who demanded I come here and demanded that you crucify me, they have the greater sin. They have the greater sin. Because this this text happened, uh, and he went again. Pilate went again in Jezebel Hall. What had just happened was he had talked to his wife, and his wife said, I've been tormented by dreams of this innocent man. Don't, uh, don't, uh, don't have anything to do with him. But he's under pressure. He's got to please the Jews to try to keep peace if he can. But Jesus said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. The word power there is the Greek word, not for dunamis, ability, but authority, permission. Permission is, authority is the permission, the imparted privilege to give someone the right to act. Therefore, whatever power that person uses, they are using with permission because they have had authority delegated to them. The authority given to Pilate to crucify Jesus was permission to do the act. But it was not the Lord's approval of the act. We, we got to understand this. Yes, it was God's plan. It was the will of God for Christ to be crucified. Not because uh, he wanted, not because he wanted that to happen to Christ, but because of his love for us. This is clearly stated in Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, out of a as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness, and when we shall see him, we, there's no beauty that we shall desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him uh, stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in uh, in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I provide, divide him a portion with the great. He shall be, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressions, and he bare the sin of many, and made his intercession for the transgressors. Did you hear all that? Did you listen to all that? Maybe you could go back and read that. Stop this video for a moment and go back and read it with your own eyes, not just at the bottom of the screen. Isaiah 53. It didn't please God to inflict pain on him. It pleased God to see the sacrifice to be accomplished so the Lord could fulfill the purpose of his love. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the reason we can believe the word of God and obey the word of God so that we will not perish is because he perished in our place. The reason we won't have to go to hell is because he went to Hades for us before Hades was all uh, a place of torment. According to Jesus in Acts chapter 16, Hades had three parts to it before the resurrection of Christ. The Abraham's bosom or the, or paradise, the great gulf and the place of torment where the rich man was in flames and torment in flames. So Christ went to that, that place for us. Now it's, Thankfully, no longer that kind of place. Now, hell hath enlarged herself. So the word Hades now means all, it's the, everything about Hades now is a place of torment, but it didn't used to be like that. Because Abraham's bosom paradise at the resurrection of Christ was removed to a place Paul called the third heaven, the resting place of the righteous dead until the rapture of the church. And then finally, for, before the great white throne judgment for those who are not in the church. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. He did all of that for us. Well, 
Jesus said, you're not greater than your master. Whatever your master's going through, you need to go through. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. So now we are being crucified with Christ. It does not give God joy or pleasure to see us in pain, to see us suffering, to see the world reviling us. That doesn't make him feel better. But he understands the process. He sees the end of this. And he is a God that proves he is God by telling the end before the beginning. Because by seeing the end before the beginning, he knows what he has to do to produce that end. And he knows how he did it to produce that end. And that's why it says in Hebrews 12 of Jesus that he endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And the word there means to shame. So he shamed shame. They were shaming him. But his innocence on that cross, innocence on that cross, his love, his mercy, his compassion shamed their shame to endure the cross, despising the shame. And how did he go through all of that? Because of the joy that was set before him. He saw the end of this. And again, Moses in chapter 11 of Hebrews says, the Bible says that he, he rejected his place in Pharaoh's kingdom. And he, he, uh, he, 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 he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the pleasure of sin for a season. Why? Because he endured as seeing him who was invisible. He saw the end of this. He saw the end of this. He saw that everything he could see with his natural eyes was temporary. He saw the invisible, that which is going to live forever. He saw the eternal not just the temporal. And it was worth more to him than any temporary comfort or riches or, 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 or pleasure he could have. I would to God in Jesus' name that you and I would receive that revelation today and that we would understand that God in his love for us has permitted the adversary, and those who hate us to do things against us to help bring us to the place where we can become what we need to be for the fulfilling of his promise. Again, the authority given to Pilate to crucify Jesus was permission to do the act. It was not the Lord's approval of the act. Thus, this permission made Pilate and all of those involved agents of the Lord's crucifixion but it also makes it very clear that they are eternally accountable for that crucifixion, whether of Jesus or of us. The Bible makes it very clear who bears the responsibility for the Lord's crucifixion. It wasn't just Pilate with his authority who bore the responsibility for his crucifixion. It was everyone involved at any level. Acts four twenty six again, the kings of the earth stood up, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, government, both Herod and Pilate, and the Gentiles, the unbelievers, and the re religious traditionalists, the people of Israel, were gathered together, and they didn't realize that their opposition of the truth in persecuting 
Christ and then in persecuting the body of Christ was for the purpose for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. In Jesus' name. The Bible says, the Bible says this, and this is very important that you and I get this. The Bible, John, Jesus said in John 19, 11, therefore he that delivered, uh, uh, that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. That's why Jesus said on the, from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do because they didn't realize, they didn't realize. He said, don't weep for me when he was bearing his cross. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. Because in 70 AD, Titus and five Roman generals, five Roman legions came against Jerusalem and they leveled it. Over a million Jews were killed. He said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. Because it was approximately 40 years later that that judgment came upon them. 40 years is a long time to us. It's nothing to God. It's nothing. While the Lord permitted the circumstances that allowed Christ to be crucified, he did not control the choices of those who participated. Their choices made them guilty of Christ's crucifixion. We need this revelation. God controls all circumstances. Mankind only controls their choice of how they respond to those circumstances. God controls all circumstances, either by causing or permitting to happen. All circumstances. We are not accountable for the circumstances, but mankind is accountable for our choices in response to those circumstances. Therefore, while God controls the circumstances that happen in our lives, only we can determine our response to them and our attitude towards God because of them. And we are accountable not for the circumstances, but we're accountable to God for our attitude toward God's for those circumstances because of those circumstances and our response to him and those circumstances. Job's responses to his trials and are models for all of us. And I have covered this already in a previous, uh, uh, in a previous lesson. So I'm not going to go into great detail here, but when he lost everything, the scripture says, he said, naked, I came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, when God allowed him to be uh, tormented with boils from head to toe because God gave an, an opening for Satan, and that's what Satan did. And his wife says, the scripture says, wrote uh, Job chapter 2, verse 7, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down with the ash, among the ashes then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Then he said, Job said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job, in all of this, did Job not sin with his lips. Why? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So what I'm saying is coming out of my heart. And I'm in trouble because of what's in my heart. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord said, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins. The word reins is there. It's not R-A-I-N-S, but R-E-I-N-S, speaking of the, 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 bridle, the, the, the bit and the bridle that controls the horse. And the Lord allows circumstances to test our hearts. The Lord allows circumstances to test our reins, to see if we're going to be willing to allow him to be in control, to let him be in charge. Or are we going to say, no, I want what I want. I want what I want. I want when I want it. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be upset with you. Really? (laughs) Really? Now, you can be assured of this one thing. The rapture of the church is not going to be a rescue mission. He's not coming back after a church because if he doesn't get to come get the church quickly, the world's so bad and it's so enticing to us that there won't be any church left. Really? No. The rapture of the church is a groom coming for his bride. Yeah. It's a groom coming for his bride. Now, I've used this illustration many times. But it's the will of God to use it here now. Would you want a wife that doesn't want to be married to you? That's being married to you because she's forced, being forced to? I've had people say to me, well, church has got to go through tribulation so God can get the church ready for the rapture. Oh, so is that how you get your wife willing to be your wife, to live with you and to Cooperate with you is beat her? No. No. I want to love my wife so she wants to love me in return. I want to, I want to be kind to my wife and, 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 and do for my wife so that she will know how much I love her and want to be with me. And I've said this many times. If on the evening of November the 1st, 1968, while I stood at the front of that little church building with the pastor, my brother to my left, pastor to my right, and that back door of the church opened, and my father-in-law came in that door with my wife on his arm. If he had come through that door, having to drag her through the door and down the aisle with her kicking and screaming against being brought to the front to marry me against her will, he wouldn't have gotten very far because I would have left my place in the front. And I would have been right back there. And I'd said, if she doesn't want to be married to me any more than that, then I don't want to be married to her. There wouldn't have been a wedding that night. Now, now, is Christ really going to come back after a bride that's only going to heaven because she didn't have any other choice because, okay, if I stay here, I'll have so much pleasure in, in here, but it's not, it's about to be destroyed. So I, I guess I'll leave here. I guess. Okay. Okay. What, what are you offering Lord in heaven? What are you offering for me? No, no. What he's offering in heaven 
is fellowship with him 24-7. And I'm using that term figuratively. To no longer have to deal with this flesh, to be able to be fully 100% all he designed us to be, and no more having the limitation of sinful flesh, sinful nature in the flesh. Oh, what, what glory. What an amazing, amazing thing. And to know it's forever, eternal life with him. I've prayed this way. I, it is what his will is, what his plan is, fine. And I know during the millennial kingdom, uh, we're going to rule and reign with him. So the church is not going to just be the priest, but we're also going to be the kings, the rulers over uh, uh, nations and provinces and cities and all that. The Bible teaches that. And I pray this way, Lord, I don't want any cities. I don't want a nation. I don't need a bunch of people to rule. What I'm asking for is, if you're in Jerusalem, I'm going to be in Jerusalem. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have a place. I don't have to have a place of recognition. But wherever you are, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. I don't need job. I don't need authority. I don't need whatever. That's part of his plan. He's going to do that. But that's not what I want. Now, I'm going to do his will. But if he wants to know what I desire, and I believe he put this desire in here, I don't want to be sent off to some other part of the world. If he's going to physically be sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, ruling over the world for a thousand years, I don't want to be someplace else. I want to be right there with him. I want to be before his face day and night. I want to be right there with him. Whatever, whatever he chooses for me to be there, whether I'm the guy that's sweeping the cobwebs out of the corner, so to speak, or he has some other place for me, whatever he wants, that to be, whatever he chooses that to be, I'm asking just not be sent to some other place in the world. I want to be there to see his face day and night. I want to be there. Now, do you know why I want that? Because I've lived 51 years with a wife that has treated me just like that. We are never apart choice. We are apart because of the will of God. We're not ever not in the same place together by our choice. We're not ever, we're not ever, ever apart by choice. And she has shown me that and live that with me to the point that it has become a spiritual thing for me. I don't want to be away from him. Now, in the millennium or in eternity, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the grace of God would give you and I that hunger to a degree, that desire for his presence like we've never had it before, and that we're willing to trust him implicitly with whatever he chooses to allow to come in our lives to make us what he wants us to be for his glory. I pray this for you and for me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.